0: Bonel & Doriga was started in Barcelona in 2014 by Laura Bonel and Daniel López Doriga and the studio has completed a wide range of projects and won numerous competition awards, but mainly we will talk around the topics of sustainable refurbishment and renovations with Laura today, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting
1: us to be here. I'm really interested in how this conversation is going to go
0: and look forward to to do it, yeah. It's our pleasure. So first of all, will you tell us first about your firm? Yes, Um, so um, Daniel and I
1: met uh, while we were studying architecture together in Barcelona, uh, which is the city we are both from. We were both born uh, here. So the university in Barcelona is really technical in its approach to architecture. And I think our views of architecture were enriched by doing exchange programs and studying abroad for a year. And so I went to, to Mendrisio, which is in Switzerland, and Daniel went to Munich in Germany. Uh, we finished our studies in 2013, which was not a great moment to be an architect in Spain at that time because uh, there was a recession and it was particularly bad in Spain. So uh, there was not a lot of work, but um, and things were just starting to get better in recent years, but then the pandemic hit and the war hit. And so let's see how this goes. But anyway, after finishing school, we opened our practice together very soon. But at the same time, we were working with other um, offices part-time because we couldn't afford to, to. to, there was almost no work, but we managed to get some really small private commissions so we were trying to combine both works and at the same time we started doing public competitions mostly internationally because there was not a lot going on in Spain at that moment and in 2017 we won our first major competition which was um, the refurbishment of an old armory in in Germany. And, and we, we had the a new building attached to it as well. It's in the city of Ingolstadt. And uh, so we have been doing this project along with other offices and it's currently under construction. And it was quite a change of scale for us. So we were going from doing very small projects to uh, having this like 14,000 uh, 14, square meters um, which was like a lot more. And <laughs> so in the meantime, uh, we have also been really focused on, on research, particularly around the topic of domestic space. And we started a blog and an Instagram account called a series of rooms in 2016, which, um, I think we started it a little bit because we wanted to expand our views and, and take some time out of the everyday life of the studio. We feel, and this is a feeling that is probably shared by a lot of architects, maybe some that are listening to this, that architecture is a profession that is very pretty from the outside, but that um, but that this thinking and designing, which is very cool, is actually a very small a small part of the whole of the profession. And we think that a lot of time is occupied with paperwork, with emails, with going over budgets, with trying to comply with regulations. And this takes kind of, this takes some magic out of the um, everyday. And for us, this, this blog, as Series of Rooms, has kind of been a space of reflection and um, of having some curiosity towards the profession of yearning to learn even out of school. And I think it's a nice counterbalance. Of the everyday life, and uh, it helps us expand our views.
0: That sounds amazing. How do you describe your design approach? So um, yeah, we
1: we started the office in 2013 So it might still be too early to say that we have a design philosophy.
0: Hmm.
1: I would say we are still a work in progress, but. Uh, if, I, I guess if we have to talk about some words that define our, our, our approach to design. Um, a few years ago, we had to present our work and we talked about intention, we talked about curiosity, and we talked about something that is very important to us that is um, grasping the sense of opportunity in every small chance. So because we started with very small projects, and continue to do them as well, um, we realized the project shouldn't be less thought of because it's smaller. So, uh, uh, for example, our first completed project as a studio was uh, was the design of a window. And um, so there's this uh, buildings in in the Champla neighborhood in Barcelona, where we live. Um, They usually had like a balcony in the rear facade and um, so which normally was uh, it was used as a storage or as the the place to put your laundry space and um, most people ended up closing these spaces with like cheap windows and with our intervention uh, what we did was to transform this space to change the conception of the space and to turn it into a core of the house Uh, so rather than a space to keep hidden as every everywhere everyone almost has it we, we turned it into a space to be lived in we designed a long bench at the bottom that is also a shelf so you can um, sit in the in the bench and read a book and the windows have like a winding pattern on the uh, lower part which kind of creates a sense of dynamism so the thing is in this project it was just a window but um, by changing the leaky aluminium window there was earlier, and changing it into a much more complex—it's um, not a lot; it's not very complex. Let me say, it's—it's a—it's a wooden window with a bench underneath. But just thinking about it um, in this way, it, it has allowed us to rethink the space that contains it. So there's this idea of taking a small opportunity as the design of a window and making it into something that is larger and has more meaning and has more intent, intention in it.
0: No, but I really like it. And um, since you did mention about domestic space earlier, so I really want to bring it back to human level and human scale. And I'm very curious about your take on how a space is inhabited and how it relates to design.
1: Yes, I think to us it, it is very important to, to this idea of the human scale and and how um, users live and inhabit these spaces that we are uh, designing for them. So because um, we often work in refurbishment, which uh, we might talk about later in, in more detail, but we work always with a pre- within a predefined limit which we cannot change because it, it is given. And um, so we always think how to transform these given spaces into something that makes sense for the new inhabitants and something that is special to them, that it's um, made to measure for them. And so we have a lot of interest in, in, in how we move around space how we create uh, these fragmentary spaces, like the niche in the window or how a table is is placed so that it makes sense in terms of space and in terms of how it's gonna be used. We think a lot about um, about these kinds of things, which makes our projects in the end, they are very similar in their strategy, but they are very different in the end because We have to adapt to these limits that we have and um, in the end all all the projects are different even if they share some like common um, genealogies.
0: Mm.
1: And then because we had to change the scale and go uh, in in this project in Germany, we, we tried to apply the same kind of thought to that even if it's a much larger building. Um, balancing the relationship between the big scale and the human touch, the human scale, was very important for us. So, for example, in this project, it, it was the re, uh, the refurbishment of an old building that had a series of rooms that were very long and and, and, and had like a vault in them, and very thick,, um, very, very thick walls where they were they are. One point, 1.5 meters wide, it's it's a lot. So, um, how do you approach doing a new building next to this old building? Our approach was to do something that was not in the same kind of materiality, the brick, but to do something that was um, m- much more uh, light, much more um, uh, svelte, let's say. And, uh, in contraposition with the very uh, thick walls, our uh, the pieces in the new building are, are, are much smaller, they are slender and they have like a, a human scale, the windows, the, the, the prefabricated pieces in the in the facade, but if we go also to the inside. Um, in the old building these vaulted rooms, which are super beautiful, they were all built the same, but towards time, uh, through time, they changed. They changed because use changed them. And it makes all the sense in the world. Like, it's really nice to see a drawing of all of them because, or or the pictures, because they all have like uh, different uh, additions or subtractions to adapt uh, them to uh, the needs that they had at the moment. No? So it's when you talk about refurbishment, you you also talk about how uh, spaces evolve through time. what is interesting is that in the new building, we cannot do that because we don't have, we don't have this time thing. But what we can do is um, introduce some um, changes through, uh, from one floor to the other that uh, create these niches and create these differences that uh, break with the rhythm of regularity of a new building and allow for uh, different lives to happen inside. I really love to see it. Yes, and it's in construction now. Um, I think it's going to be
0: finished next year, yeah. Oh, That's awesome. So why refurbish? um, Maybe you can share one or two benefits of it. Yes, uh,
1: for sure. I think refurbishment is going to be one of the most important topics in architecture in the future, for sure. So in the current context of climate emergency, Re- re-evaluating our our relationship with uh, pre-existing structures is kind of a logical solution to the environmental cost of extracting and transporting materials. So we have been talking a lot lately uh, in terms of sustainability about the carbon footprint, the carbon footprint of the materials that we use in construction, and also the cost of uh, the sustainable or, or the environmental cost of demolishing all structures in order to make space for new buildings. So these two issues, which are uh, central to the current um, conversations around sustainability are somewhat mitigated by just preserving what is already built and transforming it to the new needs that the new users will have. Uh, This is somewhat at odds with this obsession of the new that I, I don't know when you studied architecture how it was, but for us, all the projects that we did in architecture school were new buildings. I don't know if this is the case for you. But um, so I think a lot of architects see refurbishment as, a, as lesser architecture. And um, it is ki- kind of the opposite to a star architecture. Let's say that they, they do just like very flashy object buildings so i think this conception is starting to change in these recent years and i think it's it's really important because uh you can do really interesting things just by reusing a structure and for us the, this process of transformation within a defined set of limits is uh is kind of both constricting and liberating also because the need to center our attention on how the object looks from the outside is erased. You don't need to do that. And instead you can focus on the inside and how the project is going to be enacted, which kind of relates to our, to, the, to the last question. And which is a really important focus of our work, I think. And so all of the things that we talked about in architecture school, like proportions or um, materiality or light, or uh, other issues, I think all of them can be brought inside and be um, dealt with inside in a very interesting way. And um, we have also been lucky to work in landmark architecture, especially of um, in in. We have uh, out of out of coincidence, we have been able to work in two very important buildings from the 1970s in Spain which were, um, which maybe you can see some pictures around. In the, no? And like, for example, the, the building uh, Walden 7 by Ricardo Bofi, which is a building that oh. everyone has probably seen on Instagram because it's very, it's very famous building. And um, we had the opportunity to work inside one of, of these apartments. And it's it's a privilege to do so and to establish a dialogue uh, between the uh, exterior architecture and the and the interior and how you deal with such a complex and interesting context. Let's say.
0: Mm, yeah, I think by also by doing adaptive reuse, we can learn so much of history that we may or may have not known before previous use and also from like an era. So yes
1: and. I think about that, it's, um, it's really interesting because this uh, building and another one that we have also um, worked on, which is called Fregoli, these are buildings that are from the 1970s. And uh, the 1970s in Spain was a very interesting time because there, has, there, there was some economical growth after, after the civil war in Spain, which, was, which left the country quite poor. So there was a lot of need to build. But there were not a lot of regulations yet. So uh, there was a lot of street architecture being built. But at the same time, there was also the opportunity for young architects to innovate in in housing and to do very experimental projects that nowadays will be completely forbidden. Like you could not build the Walden 7 now. Or you could not build the Fregoli building now. It's impossible. The regulations would not allow it, in Spain at least. In other places of the world, maybe yes. So um, it's it's kind of a very interesting uh, contraposition to 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 start to work in those spaces and see other ways of thinking. And um, and yes, it it kind of talks. It, it it's not only about the space, but also the history. Not only of how these spaces have been lived, but also why were they built like that. I think it's 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 um, it's really interesting when you work in refurbishment to be able to make these questions.
0: Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, in your opinion, how should the role of an architect thrive and survive through being considerate in every design and building process? So I think um,
1: I think through internet and social media we have been able all of us. To expand our views of how architects in different parts of the world uh, work.
0: Mm.
1: I think now you're in Indonesia and you are talking to me, which I'm in Barcelona, and through your fantastic blog, we can learn how different architects around the world think and build. so it's very different from being an architect here or being an architect in South America or in Indonesia, or I don't know, even places that are much closer like the United Kingdom. Uh, there are different society needs, different climate and landscape contexts, different economical and political realities, different regulations as we were talking earlier. So I think over the last century, there has been a tendency towards homogenizing architecture. like. Sometimes you see buildings in, I don't know, Africa, and they are built the same as if they were in Amsterdam. And this does not make sense at no. all. And I think we are starting to see this. We should have seen it earlier, probably. But um, we are starting to see this. We are starting to um, see this is wrong. I don't I don't know how to express it correctly. But um, so I think this will change and this needs to change. I think architects should really take the time to understand the the, the context in which they are working on and produce projects that are adequate to those conditions. I think there should be a, a return to projects that have people in the center rather than style and that create the best conditions for its inhabitants, for how they're, I think it's, more or less what we've been saying all the conversation, how, how are we inhabiting the spaces that we live in? Mm-hmm. How is the best? Condi- how can we create the best conditions for life in terms of use, in terms of space, in terms of having a good, uh, like a nice, uh, having not a lot of energy consumption, but having the correct conditions inside so that we feel warm in, in the winter and, and fresh in the summer. So and and focusing also on, on, on sustainable ways on how to build all of these. So I think I think architecture really in the future or architects, we, we should really focus on like having common sense of um of using common sense to build better architecture for everyone, I think. It's kind of a corny way to end, but I think common sense is.
0: <laughs> no, but also it's the sure. same way like it said before. Um, architecture should be local. So wherever you are in the world, Uh, it should be different kinds of architecture, depending on the needs, uh, local environments, the same way you also brought a big project to human scale, right? Everyone is made, everything is made for humans and a specific kind of user. So it needs to be unique to the local needs, but also it needs to be flexible as well for in the future if you need a change or if the time changes, then you can always like adapt it further. So thank you so much for a reminder for that. um, And also for sharing it such an presentation. Thank you.